What's up, fam? I'm Jazz, and this is Black Executive, a networking podcast for Black Creative Pros by Black Creative Pros, sharing inspirational stories, actionable advice, and giving away the game to succeed in your business and your career. Join the network where dreamers become doers and the aspiring become inspired. Listen and watch on BlackExecutive.com. Let's get to it. What's up, Black Executive fam? And welcome back to another episode of season two of Black Executive Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jazz. And today we're talking to Deborah Anderson, also known as Black Woman Animator. Deborah is a 3D modeler, teacher, and speaker. She's worked uh, for Digital Emation, a premier animation studio in Seoul, South Korea. She's done work for Family Guy, The Cleveland, Cleveland Show. Um, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Scooby-Doo, and the LeBrons. And she has a range of teaching experience from training employees in the oil and gas industries to teaching young professionals. And a part of her legacy has been partnering with the New Orleans Recreation Department to host free swim lessons for young professionals. Had to call that out because that's near to my heart. So all that to say that she is literally a 3D superhero. Welcome to the show, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad to have you. Like you, the the swim lessons. I'm gonna come back to it, but I had to call that out because I learned how to swim as an adult like two years ago. So yeah, just like three years ago for me. <laughs> yeah, see, that's so important to me because I like man, and we'll we'll double back to that. But I was like, I, when I saw that in your bio, I was like, oh my god, that's like that. Talk about legacy. Mm-hmm. like for real for real so let's let's get into it you're very passionate about what you do as a 3d modeler and we can see you have your youtube channel black woman animator so mm-hmm. how did you get started as a 3d modeler so um all my life i drew and i was good at math so my journey through like what careers i wanted was very like not animation related because you know my peers they're their journey is, oh, I saw Little Mermaid, Lion King, or some anime, and I wanted to do that. And I just was like, surrounded by Disney, but like, cool, but I want to do this, though. <laughs> and so I went from being, want to be an architect, and then I found out they didn't draw that much. And then I went through a phase where I drew shoes from the side a lot. <laughs> and so I, I, I found out, uh, like, industrial engineer, which would have actually been industrial design. And then I landed on wanting to be an electrical engineer because I was really good at math. And in high school, I took the project lead the way classes. So I took, like, electronics and a couple other classes that were engineering classes. But also, um, my dad is a college professor. And so he got me and my my twin brother into um, dual enrollment. And so I took Mm -hmm. seven classes at a community college in... um, in Michigan Schoolcraft College and the seventh class was 3D animation and I was like oh okay this is a perfect mesh of my analytical and my creative brain so let me do wow. this and so I found that my senior year of high school and so that's kind of why I started my black woman animator pot, uh, platform because mm-hmm. I, I took me to my senior year. even though even being surrounded by Disney and animation and art I still didn't find it as a career to my senior year of high school. Wow. Well, I mean, that's still amazing that she even found it as a career yeah. in high school. I feel like a lot of us when graduated high school, we still didn't know what <laughs> we were like, I don't know, maybe go to college, I guess. Like, right. You know, <laughs> that's dope. So you said it's it like it's it's the perfect mesh of your analytical and your creative brain. Can you speak more about that? That kind of speaks to me because I feel very analytical, but I'm very much a creative. I feel like my analytical mind keeps my creative mind in a prison (laughs) you know typically the creative person is like free and like just discovery play around Mm -hmm. in art and mine is like when I learn I step by step and I usually need like a teacher to at least introduce me to it I'm not really good at Mm self-learning so I usually need a teacher to introduce me to it and then I can kind of go off and and learn whatever I want, but I always joke that my personality is oh oh you want me to be free? Can you give me a fifty two page PDF on how to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> so um, now that I'm learning digital sculpting in ZBrush, um, 
it's it's difficult for me because it's all about playing around and discovering. And also when you're sculpting, um, I'm a natural perfectionist. Um, I've been delivered from perfectionism, like, <laughs> but sculpting, digital sculpting is like, okay, ugly, 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 ugly. And then it starts to look like something. And I feel like as a perfectionist, I need it to look like something at every stage. And so yeah. that's my struggle with like learning digital sculpting and sometimes learning at all. <laughs> Yeah, I love how aware you are of your own like strengths and kind of struggles with like your learning styles and your teaching. I feel like that can be very effective. I feel like um, when people are hyper aware of stuff, you're able to like course correct for those things. And you're, I, I talk a lot about patterns of error uh, because I'm a, I'm a writer in the tech space. And so I know I'm really weak with commas. I always sprinkle commas or don't add yeah. commas. So I have to always like check that in my work. So yeah. I, think, I think that's really introspective that you're able to have that amount of insight and, and self-awareness about yourself. That's awesome. And you're teaching. Yeah, I'm trying to learning. kick through the, I'm trying to kick through the wall like the Kool-Aid man and then like bring <laughs> the others with me because I really want to discover how to break through this so I can help other people who may be like analytical and creative at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's needed, especially as, you know, um, more and more black creators move into like the tech space and things like that and the jobs that are are happening and that will be created with the changes that are, that are happening with technology you know the, the work that you're doing i'm sure is bringing a lot of awareness to this as a field especially for us yeah so they were goes right perfectly into um you know your track record for teaching and training which is very admirable so you clearly invest a lot of time bringing your skill set to those who are aspiring to be 3D artists or just need to like work with you and collab with you. And it seems like mm -hmm. you're educating them also. So how did you get into that teaching and training part and what fulfillment have you found in it? I feel like um, my journey is kind of accidentally following in my father's footsteps because, you know, my mm -hmm. father you know, I, he has a PhD. I ain't got no PhD, but other stuff, like he's been a professor for like 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so, um, education, I guess my upbringing, particularly when I lived with my father is, um, education is like a secondary passion of mine. Mm -hmm. And so I started, uh, in my effort to get more, uh, black and brown kids and girls into animation, I just started doing workshops and different classes, I'm, I taught at Delgado Community College in New Orleans in 2013. It was like a continuing education class. So I had a lot of adults. Um, I did my first like true college course of teaching at Loyola University, New Orleans in 2017. Um, and I learned a lot about myself uh, and, and, and my um, like blind spots as a teacher, because as, as an individual, I don't really need praise all that much. Um, but I need to do that for other, some other students. Mm. So when I was teaching, they were creating awesome work, but they didn't know they were creating awesome work because there's, there's not that, like people don't really know about the behind the scenes, the animation. So they don't know when they're doing good work. So you have mm. to, talk. and so I need, I, I definitely needed to work on that, um, more, but, uh, what was the second part of the question? Is how did you find fulfillment in that, or have you found it fulfilling? Um, man, like this week, so I did a workshop for the hundred black men of New Orleans, maybe mm -hmm. four years ago, or I don't know how long ago that was. But somebody hit me up in my inbox on Instagram this week and was like, "Oh, I was in that class." I thought he was talking about something else, but then I talked to him yesterday, and he said that he was in eighth grade when he was did that workshop, and I was like what and now he's in like graphic design and stuff he said how much I impacted him and I was like wow and so I remember and because I, I was asking him was it was that when I took taught the fl flip books because that was another moment where like it started kind of late so I had to you know rush through the presentation part of it and the adults was asking more questions than the kids. And so, you know, everybody's interested in animation. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had like, I try to have a, a thing that they can take away and maybe show their parents. So I taught them flip books, like using the, um, the yellow note, post-it notes. Mm -hmm. And so I had maybe a half hour to do that. And so I taught them like the idea of frames. Um, and 
we they had maybe some McDonald's gift cards or something like that. And so we me and an, another woman went around and judged them. And when I was looking at their flip books, I was like, I thought they're mad. Like <laughs> I had a half hour. I, I literally had like maybe 15 minutes and then 15 minutes for you to actually implement it. And then some of the, I mean, obviously some of their artistic talent was like innate, but some mm-hmm. like I remember seeing one young man's uh uh flip book and the timing was just like so awesome. And I'm like, Wow. Okay, like I guess partially that was me. And so mm-hmm. it's really inspiring. And another time I um, tutored a, a, a kid with Asperger's in 3D and I tutored him for about a year or so. And mm-hmm. to see him, like I taught him Maya. And so to see him where I'm telling him, okay, you have to rotate the camera so that you could see what you're doing. Because I don't know, people be trying to do stuff and I'm like, just zoom in. Like you, why are you like, make it so that you can see what you're doing. And so to go from having to tell him to do things to him, like maybe six to eight months later where he's just naturally doing it. It's like, oh man, that's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then by the end of it, he went to um, Academy of Interactive Entertainment in Lafayette, uh, Louisiana. And he was two semesters ahead of his peers. So I was like, hmm, I be doing stuff. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is, talk about impact. Like, I can't imagine that. I mean, as the teacher, you see, you you just keep teaching and then you, you don't realize, like, these people that you taught are growing and, and learning and they're becoming a, an adult. And <laughs> That's that's wonderful that you you were able to like see that impact and then put them into like get them interested in this industry that they may not have considered or this you know type of work they may not have even thought about and like really dive into that passion. That's that has to be like one of the most heartwarming parts about being an instructor for sure. I know um, I, I did some teaching in my past too, teaching writing, and I had a, a student. One of my students was two of my students have been on this show. Because one is at Def Jam now, Ooh. and another is a writer for Blavity and Exo Nicole, and it's like it's a ama- it's amazing, it's right. amazing, you know. So I can't even imagine for you teaching students who are entering industries that they may not even have ever considered, you know. Yeah, I try to I try to take people. I say I try to take people from zero to hero in the shortest amount mm. possible. So even you know, I'm my current position teaching. For the Academy of um, Media Arts in Crenshaw, mm-hmm. like um, when I saw what they produced in the spring semester with another teacher, I'm like, I blew that out of the water in like week three. Like we wow. a lot of stuff, and then uh, in the last week of school, we had them do a student exhibition, and I had them answer questions about like what they learned and why they chose the class. And I, I remember one student was like, "Yeah, last semester we learned like some stuff, but this semester we learned a lot." I was like. Yes, thank you. I try. <laughs> That's awesome. So have you always, um, like, okay, so you work with adults and you work with kids. Mm-hmm. Have you always had a passion for working with kids? Do you find that one group is easier to work with than the other? Um, Something that I've discovered in adulthood is that adults are just like children. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't be asking questions like, what? Like, why are you grown and you still acting like you're 15 years old and still <laughs> asking questions? But um, I feel like maybe, and then I did a workshop uh, for the New Orleans Min- uh, Mini Maker Fair, and there was this like, 80 year old lady in my class, and she was just asking too many questions. I'm like, ma'am, I only have an hour. I ain't got time to teach you all all this stuff I'm just trying to get y'all to make something cool <laughs> like and so there's that dynamic where I get mm-hmm. that people want to know what they're doing but I ain't got time I don't mm-hmm. got time and so um for me uh and in that my platform is to kind of like expose kids to the idea of being in animation uh and my passion is to increase the diversity in animation um, it's not even about just only getting people interested in it as a career, but also as a hobby. So whether mm. I'm trying to conceptually figure out how do I introduce a five-year-old to animation or also mm. on the other end, when um, the senior centers are having their little activities, you know, they be dancing, they do art. How can I create maybe a program and work with maybe a coder to create an interface where one of their activities could be, creating animations and and you, it's not intimidating this like big 
3D program, but there's like this interface that you could put over it where they can just like click different buttons and then do animation for one of their mm. activities at the senior center. So it's like from the rooter to the tutor, <laughs> like trying to figure out how to explore mm-hmm. animation and even help parents like support their children. So in mm-hmm. last year, this time, because I went home for Christmas last year, I sat down with my, my dad about being a supportive uh, parent for an art- artistic child because he was like really um, paramount in my journey. And and a lot of parents want to help their children. They just don't know what to, what to do. So yeah, I try to help parents as much as possible too. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, and that being a field that can be so intimidating. Like, I think it's so cool. That's intimidating for me as an adult. I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to start. I can't draw a stick figure. Like, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I don't, so I'm sure that is um, super intimidating. Like when you work with parents, do is all of your work um, or just like with kids too, is it always hands-on? Like since COVID has happened, have you switched to more of a virtual environment where you're doing one-on-one sessions, like via Zoom or something like that? Most of the time, it's just like them finding me and hit me up through email or through Facebook Messenger or I'll make a post in a Facebook group and they'll be like, oh, my my whoever is interested. And I'll be like, hit me up. I mean, I, I offer it to all people. People don't always kind of execute and hit me up or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm always trying to, you know, get people to... Uh, I, I'm open to a- answering any questions, and, mm-hmm. and people don't always take me up on the offer. But it's all the it's always the offer's always there. So, okay, cool. So, if someone hits you up, are they able to book like a, a session with you virtually? If it comes to that, if they want to do that, usually mm-hmm. answer, answering questions in email. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, like I had a guy hit me up recently. He wants to do some workshops, and so I did a Zoom, and I'm going to be doing like a little example class for him. Mm-hmm. in a new year but uh it depends on what they ask me to do so usually it's just back and forth through um email or I mm-hmm. like um a guy I know um I know his daughter too his granddaughter is interested in animation so I did a phone call with her but I could tell she is she is who I used to be in high school and so <laughs> you know I don't think she'll like the phone like that so I was like feel free to text me you don't have to call because I like yeah. I it was a journey like doing doing the phone and even in an adulting I don't really like the phone I'll I'll have to make a doctor's appointment like ah yeah like uh, okay I guess I'll do it <laughs> but um but I'm more comfortable talking on the phone now but I was like mm-hmm. you can text or email you ain't got to call me because I, I I feel I feel it I feel it you know yeah I, mean? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I feel you on that too I hate if I have to call to do something it's gonna significantly delay the yeah. time that I get it because I'm like oh I gotta I gotta I can't do this online Right, I like, I, like it's just, I, I guess it's just like you know our generation now. We don't really do phones, yeah. you know. And, and when somebody calls me without like talking to me and letting me know they're gonna call me, I'm like offended. I'm like, you called, you called me? Did you ask? Did you oh, see that I wanted to talk? On Facebook Messenger, they be sending me. Oh, like, bro, like we didn't even discuss this. Like that's a violation. That's a, such a violation to me. I'm like, if you don't have my phone number, you should not feel emboldened to call me on Facebook Messenger. <laughs> okay so with all that being said you clearly very passionate love what you do what has been the most rewarding part of your career as a 3d modeler and what has been some of the more challenging parts of it so um i remember one of the most rewarding parts of my career was um you know working at digital emation in south korea and sitting at my desk one day and being like, yes, I did not waste four years of college because mm-hmm. I remember I uh, I saw somebody ask a question on their Facebook Facebook page, but then I brought the question to my Facebook page. And I was like, um, if you had to do it over, what, what major would you choose to uh, major in in college? And like 98 percent of people would choose something different. Like on my on my on my page, me and another dude was the only people who would redo and go back to the, for the same degree so the fact that I was like sitting there being a 3d modeler um I mean it helped that I was working on famous tv shows but I mean I like just being a 3d modeler and realizing like this is my passion like I found it I I got a degree in it I got a job in it I'm sitting here and I'm not 
like I was working 12 hour days, <laughs> but I'm mm-hmm. just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't waste my time. So that was like a huge thing for me. And then like another story from working at digital animation was that um, I remember I had just finished a project and my supervisor, uh, mind you, like none of the people in my dep- in the 3D department, 3D department spoke fluent English, but mm-hmm. um, but we made it work. So um, mm-hmm. my supervisor was giving my next project, and she was like, "Okay, do you want to do this snake or do you want to do a Batmobile?" And I was just like, "Let me challenge myself, Batmobile." And so that was for an episode of Family Guy, which that clip is actually on um, YouTube. If you look up Family Guy, Lazy Susan, the uh, Batmobile in there, I I three D modeled that, and cool. so. I was sitting there and I was like, how am I going to start this? Cause a Batmobile is like a very intimidating project. It's like a vehicle. It's very, you know, has a lot of parts. And so I was able to start it. I was able to complete it in maybe two weeks. And it was just like a challenge. I, cha- I decided to challenge myself. So that was like really cool for me. Um, and then I, after I was done, I had to do the snake anyway, but <laughs> um, <laughs> something if you go to my uh like website black woman animator blkwmnanimator.com you'll see a batmobile and that's not the same book batmobile because i still have a hard drive from korea that i'm going to try to it's it's, it's kind of broke right now but i'm gonna try to get somebody it's, i've been waiting 10 years like somebody <laughs> has these files off of here but i decided to redo the batmobile and so that's the second mm-hmm. iteration of the batmobile on my website because <laughs> i it was such a monumental thing in my like life that I wanted to kind of put that moment on the page so nice and we will drop a link to all of that in the show notes and in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube and that segues perfectly into what I was going to ask you like can you talk about your experience working on some of these big name shows what was that like um like I like I have a whole video about how I got my job in in South Korea, it was totally on accident. I didn't do it on purpose. I just like wanted a tour and then they asked me for a portfolio and then I, I created one. But it was like, awesome. I, and I feel like it was freeing for me because a lot of people in the industry are trying for, you know, 10 years to get their name in the credits. And like my first mm-hmm. job was to get my name. My first job got my name in the credits like a couple of times that I saw. Mm-hmm. And so for the rest of my career, I was able to be like, OK, I can go work for the state of Louisiana in New Orleans and not be chasing this like, oh, I need to get my name in the credits because my first job allowed me to do that. So mm-hmm. now I can just get paid. Like, <laughs> like if y'all pay me the salary, I can do the work. And so I feel like it was awesome, but it was also freeing for the rest of my career where I can like kind of do whatever I want because I'm not chasing that anymore. Um, and then just getting to be like an American and like moving to this foreign country and not trying to be an arrogant American. Cause we have that reputation all over the world yeah. and like trying to learn a language and trying to learn like their, their history and their kind of culture. It was like a really great experience. And the only reason I left was because I'm an introvert and <laughs> I don't like people staring at me like that. And they always stared at me cause I had like a bigger, bigger raffle at the time. And I'm like, yeah, because you know people, other people who are maybe extroverts. Oh, you got to pretend like you're on the runway, like you're a model. I'm like, but I don't want the attention, so that don't work. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, I just like I'm over it. Like y'all just keep staring at me, and I am like, why stop? And so, but I I liked it. Like it was really cool. The cost of living is really low. It's one of like the cheaper Asian countries to live in. Like I learned how to read. Because like you know, Japanese and Chinese have all those characters, but you know mm-hmm. Korean has a Korea has an alphabet, and so you just after after you learn the alphabet, you can read anything. I can't, I can say it. I don't know what it means all the time, but I can. Read it. <laughs> and then by the time I left Korea, you know, I would talk to different people, and they would call me Hanguk Saram, which means Korean person. So I'm not fluent in Korean at all, but I could pronounce the heck out of Korean. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I I could do a little accent. Uh, like at first when I was learning, it felt kind of. I felt like I was mocking them because I was trying to get the accent down so, so much. But I mean, I was sounding, I was trying to sound just like them. And I'm, yeah. I have like, a thing with languages where I'm like really good at accents. Mm-hmm. Even though I, don't, I mean, I might not know the whole language, but I'm really good at pronouncing stuff. And mm-hmm. so um, it was like a really good experience. And then I do also want to go back to the like last question of like the failures. Um, 
I didn't answer that. But uh, like, so the failures was the fact that I was not preparing myself properly to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated from college in 2008, I moved to New Orleans and was like trying to get a job in animation. But, you know, for my specialty, you're supposed to create what's called a demo reel, which is that like maybe one minute video where you're kind of showing your 3D models off. And I decided, okay, I'm going to just put some pictures on the website and try to get a job. And then that didn't work. And so me going to Korea was like, okay, I don't get a job by this time. And I'm a, the only thing that's comparable is living in a foreign country. So that's kind of how I ended up in South Korea. Plus, I had to pay my bills. <laughs> and they was hiring teachers. Like, you just had to have a degree in anything. It'd be from, like, uh, the U.S., Canada, England, Australia, New Zealand, and maybe Ireland. And so I was like, well, that's easy. It's much harder now. And so when I went to, when I was about to actually taught English the first year, and then I was going to re-up on the second year. And my friend Derek was like, don't you have a degree in animation? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the further you're, you're like away from trying to get in the industry, the harder it is. So I thought mm-hmm. I was going to do that. And so all I, all I asked for was like I emailed a bunch of animation companies and like asked for a tour. And, you know, I had one at an incubator in Guangzhou where I was teaching and then in Seoul at Digital Animation. And then like at the end of the tour they just asked me if I had a demo reel and I still didn't have a demo reel but I was like I can't Mm -hmm. and so for the next four months uh, I worked on a demo reel and then I sent it to them and then they offered me a job so nice the biggest like trying to now now I have that frame of mind where if I'm not trying to properly prepare myself for the for the for the whatever my goal is then it's it can happen but it's probably I can't get mad that it's not happening if I through all the bullet points, at least the, the minimum bullet points to do this. So mm-hmm. that also kind of frees my mind of, okay, um, I didn't do everything. I haven't exhausted all of my like possibilities. So mm-hmm. I can't be too mad or, or I could just be mad at myself. So. <laughs> mm. That's real though. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to prepare yourself and be ready. Um, you, you touched on a lot of interesting points. Uh, one thing I know about like the teaching in, in Korea. So mm-hmm. um, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm a writer. So in my program, a lot of writers do that too. They go mm-hmm. over there because we teach, a lot of us teach to get our, I have my master's degree and I taught to get my master's degree. Um, mm-hmm. College they student. Pay more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> a lot of them will go do it overseas because yeah. they'll pay you. They use it to pay off any student loans, mm-hmm. stack up their bread, come back, buy a house, get a comfortable job, you know? And so I have a, um, a former classmate who like went I think she went to Japan to China mm-hmm. I don't remember where she went but yeah. she she had the same experience she's tall black yeah. and she was like it, it's exhausting it's exhausting yeah. want to take pictures with hide of you yeah and she's like it's just it's a different type of she was like it's a different type of racism it's like a, a an innocence like they don't they're just yeah it's, it's like a one like they're they're more all about their people more than against your people. yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah and she talked she talked a lot about um that in some of our past conversations um so yeah I feel what you're saying on that um another point that I wanted to kind of double back to you mentioned the importance of having your name in the credits so another guest we had on the show is you know AJ Moore he mentioned mm-hmm. um that's my mentor yes yes my first mentor ever he is so awesome. Um, so I don't know what order y'all episodes are going to be in, but mm-hmm. make sure you go back and watch AJ's episode too, so you can see how this all connects. So <laughs> we're built, we're building a black executive universe here. Um, but I know he talked about like the importance of like having credit and stuff, being an animator in the field, and a lot of times you put in all of this work, and mm-hmm. then it's the company, it's like Pixar mm-hmm. or it's the Cleveland show that gets all the credit, and you're just like. And you're like, I put so much into this. Mm-hmm. So can, can you talk about like the importance of like the significance of having your name in the credits? Yeah, for me, it's like, so for, for my journey, it's like, okay, I have this YouTube channel, right? And I produce all this content. And I fully believe if I was like, I could be Disney 3D modeler or Pixar 3D modeler, then my channel would be much bigger. Because it was like, like if if I ever land a position at the one of these studios, I feel like it go 
go gangbusters and it's like I always knew what I was talking about but now that I have this name behind it now y'all y'all think I know what I th- I'm talking about now yeah mm-hmm. and so additionally <clears throat> I remember being in college where I never wanted like I'm and I live in Los Angeles now but I never wanted to live here um because I was like it's expensive and then when I was deciding to leave New Orleans and tr- trying to decide where to go I was like California was not on my list at first I was like I'm too old to be poor <laughs> <laughs> and so somebody Somebody actually in the Herbal League movement who was um, a president in the Bay Area, I think she convinced me to put um, California on my list at all because it was not, it wasn't even like I took it off my list. It was just not on my list. Mm-hmm. So um, I think this idea of, you know, getting these credits, like because I had that, um, that experience with my first uh, studio, I was free from the idea that I had to get those credits or that it meant that I was good. Like I could just, I can work at, for the state of Louisiana and people always be like, every time I told the people I was an animation specialist for this, for Louisiana economic development, they'd be like, there was only like one person who didn't make that face or like, <laughs> wasn't like what? Cause we were actually the first uh, state department to have like animation. Mm. And so it was not, that's not something that you hear working in government. And so I think, you know, for for the layman and even me going by black woman animator, like people don't know what a 3D modeler is. So if I went by black woman modeler, I would have to deal with like, oh, you're a, a runway model. Like, no. Yeah. Or yeah, what sure. is, like, so I call myself black woman animator, even though I'm not an animator, just because I just I just need you to see my name. Be, get excited and either your child wants to do this or you want to do this and you want to reach out to me. That's why I go by Black Woman Animator because just the easiest thing to get your attention. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I'm deciding to rebrand in the past two weeks and like, not rebrand, but like my personal work. So I'm still going to go by Black Woman Animator, but I'm creating like a Deb the 3D modeler like okay. social media stuff so that I can kind of separate yeah. it. Yeah, I feel that I'm all I, ha- I have a trillion aliases. I do so many yeah. things. I got like fitness stuff. I got yeah. writing stuff. I got podcasts. Like so, yeah. I, feel I got like that. five Instagram accounts on my right. Me too. That's not even all the Instagram accounts I got. So <laughs> Me too. I have so many different identities for stuff. I'm like, I need to get this all under one LLC and just do DBAs. Like I need. Yeah. To get <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. So okay. So just uh, to quick touch point on that. So you said that you when you tell people that you do 3D modeling for like Lu- the Louisiana Economic Development Department, what is, what is that? What does that look like? I'm sure people probably make that face because they're like, what does, you think animation and you think like fun, cute characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you hear like economic development and you're like, are you doing buildings? Like, are you like... <laughs> so basically I worked for the uh, Fast Start program and that's mm-hmm. an incentive program. So, you know, um, uh, you know, a big thing uh, across the country for like the film industry is to get those like tax credits. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. why New Orleans at some point was going to be the Hollywood of the South until Bobby Jindo ruined that. <laughs> and then like, you know, Atlanta has their thing. So there's these tax incentives. So for other comp- for other industries, um, there's this idea, okay, if you were like Louisiana economic development is always either working on someone starting a company in Louisiana or make- making their like second or third or whatever uh, like um, a part of the company in Louisiana so that we can get more jobs and stuff like that. So uh, they're always working at, for that. And if you bring, if you work through Louisiana economic development and bring your, your company to Louisiana, they'll give you these tax incentives. And so my program, the fast start program was free for them. So they provided job fairs, training materials and all this stuff because they brought their company to Louisiana. So I was kind of like a cog in a wheel where um, some of my coworkers were like teaching in the Louisiana college system. So they would be teaching like C4M, um, something for manufacturing. It was like teaching, you know, in the oil and gas and stuff like that, like uh, industrial manufacturing stuff. Or they would be working with a company to create their pre-hire stuff or post hire like curriculum. And so I would either create like an image for a PowerPoint or something or a video for a training video or even a video for a PowerPoint, whether it's for the college, uh, community college system or for a company. And so um, I did a lot of industrial manufacturing stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, boring stuff, stuff, stuff that when I moved to Lo- uh, Los Angeles, I could not use it for my demo reel. So that's why I like working on creating a new demo reel because I can't like show all this like pipes and mm. boring stuff. I have to be like, okay, that's not what will be created in a film or something. So I have to like yeah. start over. Um, so yeah, that that's essentially what happened. And I think uh, after we did it, so we it, in the is it the Business Insider? Oh, for the 11 straight years, we got um, the best uh, economic development department in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. So, uh, but I think the people we compete against uh, or they compete against is like North Carolina, maybe Georgia. Yeah, Georgia, because like mm-hmm. we're called Fast Start. And in Georgia, a lot of people who worked for Fast Start, work and worked for Fast Start came from Georgia, which was Quick Start. <laughs> so yeah. they, they poached a lot of the people. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Okay. I'm glad that makes sense, though. Like now that you tied it all together, because, you yeah. know, for, I was I was going to make the face, but I was like, hmm, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> so that kind of segues into you know, the last few parts of security wrap up. So can you talk a little bit about like your daily workflow, like when you're just working through things, even not necessarily talking about like the economic department, but just like your process mm-hmm. as a 3D modeler, the tools that you use and whatnot? Yeah, so typically for me, reference is everything. So um, whether I was working for digital animation or working for um, LED or even in my personal projects, I try to look as mu- up as much reference as possible. So, for example, when I did the Batmobile for digital animation, they gave me maybe a three-quarter view. I think they only gave me a three-quarter view of the Batmobile. So then I had to go look up on Google, like, okay, what does this thing look like from the front, side, top, bottom, mm-hmm. back, and all this stuff. So um, for any artist, like, so for some reason, we get to this point like where we think, oh, if we use reference images or if we look at something that that means it's not art, like even the the old OG artists like Michelangelo, Autumn, they use reference. Right. So I don't know how we got to this point where we think that we have to everything has to come from our head, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, and so that's a big, huge part of being a 3D modeler is using as much reference as possible to. And even if you're creating more cartoony stuff, you still need reference, whether it's using the real stuff and like making it more um stylized or finding like uh stuff out on ArtStation or behance or instagram where concept artists have created already stylized things and you can kind of create a demo reel from that or you can just use that for reference in whatever project you're doing so mm-hmm. that's um the process and then the programs i use are Mostly uh, Maya, when I worked for the state, I would use Cinema 4D because it was just easier to do some animation stuff in Cinema 4D because mm-hmm. of the MoGraph tools. And then uh, for my personal projects, if I use Maya to model, I'll use Cinema 4D to render because in, in Cinema 4D, you could just add the material. They got a little pre-made materials. I'll add the pre-made materials. They got like the physical sky rendering, like the lighting. I could just put that on there and then render and I'm done. Because Maya, you just got to, like, you can do that in Maya, but it's just, like, so much easier in Cinema 4D. And then mm-hmm. when I'm teaching now at the Academy of Media Arts is Blender. And so I got a job teaching Blender, but I ain't really know Blender like that before. <laughs> so I'd be like, the week before or the week of, I'd just be like, okay, what am I teaching this yeah. week? Let me look at some YouTube videos. Okay. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I try to teach people whatever. If you are interested in 3D, um, whether it's modeling, animation, texturing, or whatever, pick the 3D program you feel most, most comfortable with and then get in your mind that you're learning the skill set. You're not learning the program. Yeah. Because people get kind of stuck in their head like, oh, I learned, I only know 3DS Max. or No, you know 3D. If you go to another program, you just need to learn the program, like the navigational tools and the tools you use to be successful. So mm-hmm. if, if you use Extrude over here, how do you extrude in this program? So mm-hmm. I just uh, I just want people to know that like if you whatever 3D program, even if it's SketchUp or some arbitrary iPad thing, you just get the, get in your mind that you're learning the skill set and it's transferable to any program out there. Now ZBrush, that I'm, I've been struggling with that for like seven years. So. <laughs> it's not always work, but push through anyway. 
Yeah, yeah, I feel that you gotta learn. You gotta learn the skill set. You're not necessarily learning the software. So, um, you touched on a lot of points. Another episode, season one, Tay Ebison. He's a designer, product designer for the web, and he talked about that whole thing of like nothing is created new. You you can yeah. it's okay to seek inspiration. Just you know know how to not copy directly what someone yeah. is doing. You know, five things together and then it's original. <laughs> yes, that was original. Yeah, it's your, it's your work. It has your creative interpretation. Okay, so you already gave a lot of good advice. Do you have any final advice that you would recommend for your uh, creatives who are looking to get into 3D modeling? So um, obviously there's like um, things like Pluralsight out there, which used to be called Digital Tutors where you can learn stuff. There's YouTube. Um, if you need any type of like guidance, cause a lot, you know, YouTube, like, like older generations say that, oh, we have access to all this information, but it's all, all over the place. I remember when mm-hmm. I was learning, um, I had to learn cinema 4d for when I started working at led and I had to purchase digital tutors because I was trying to learn on YouTube, but it's all segmented. And I'm like, how do I just go step by step? So yeah. You can, if you need any guidance, feel free to reach out to me. But the most important, like, get your soft skills skills together. Learn how to communicate with people. Um, like, the hard skills are important, but you need to get your soft skills there, together. And a tidbit about networking. When you, when you're, I think a lot of people in every industry kind of don't know how to network. So when you network with people, Connect with them as a human being. Like, don't mm-hmm. try to get something from them. Yes. Uh, like, and it, even if you're like really, if you're not natural at it, if you need to be analytical about it, just think about, okay, you want to con- con- constantly stay in contact with this person and, and not ask them for anything so that when you ask them for something, it won't seem suspicious. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of people just immediately oh, do you need a writer for this? Or do you need uh, this, like a, a concept artist for this? Do you need, or like I went to a gaming, uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles I, before a pandemic, I went to like this uh, gaming uh, networking event and they're like, oh, here's my card. If you ever need this, if you ever need this. But it's like, become friends be, or at least at very least associates that talk. Yes. A big thing was like, I con- connected with a guy when I was at Digital Emation 10 years ago and I just like every six months, every year would like hit him up on LinkedIn or through email and ask him about himself. And he asked me or I'll, I'll offer like, OK, this is where I'm at in life right now. And mm-hmm. then last year sometime he had like gotten sick and he just like hit me up on LinkedIn and told me about it. And he was like, I'm hitting I'm like contacting all the like important people. And I'm like, I'm important. I, I just like email uh, you like once every year. And so that's like important to people to connect on a human level and not like try to just get something from them. Like mm-hmm. you're building relationships and then you're cashing in on it eventually. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's so true that you have to have authentic networking for real. Um, and, and hear people, you know, when they talk to you, listen, actually listen to what yeah. they're saying <laughs> and, and soak that in and not listening for your place to interject and, and ask for something, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah, I totally feel it. That's that's excellent advice. I think we've had a lot of people drop gems about network, but that one was really unique mm-hmm. that you like even over time, over a year, if it's once a year, yeah. I'm hitting you up. Like that's still that's still something. Like have that point of contact. Yeah, because when I also uh like I, I interviewed Dan Haskett on my YouTube channel, he's like animation legend. Like he mm-hmm. a lot of like Glenn King gets a lot of uh publicity for like animating Ariel from Little Mermaid but Dan Haskett actually designed Ariel and he's a black oh, man cool. and cool. so Dan Haskett was my Facebook friend for like three years and I never talked to him and then I wanted him to be on my channel I was like ah oh, I can't just ask him I thought he would do it but then I was like so for like three weeks I was like hey Dan I don't want anything how are you doing and then like the other time like eh, I hope you're good and then I was like the third time like can you be on my YouTube channel? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I tried to fast track it, but I was just like, let me not ask for something. I don't know if he noticed, but I, now he's my best friend. <laughs> but, yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm in the process of doing that too. I don't know how up you are on Clubhouse, but um, yeah, oh, I, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. And I've had the privilege of being in a room with one of my favorite authors as a teen, uh, Zane. 
and oh, yeah, I've been and I had to. I, I've been in a few of her rooms, and I've been able to ask her a few questions. And I'm like working my way up, start commenting on her IG. I'm, just, yeah. I'm working my way up, so I try to get her on the show. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's like it's such a, so interesting a dynamic of how you can like the people who are like famous or prominent in our industries. They're more apt to like connect with you through Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's like such an interesting dynamic. Yes. It's like more familiar. Yes. Add something to the networking piece with that is that something I've learned is that, um, you know, you know, the idea if some people know the idea, if you look into if you get like interview tips, they'll, they'll tell you treat everybody with respect. So sometimes mm-hmm. when you go into interview, the, the boss will ask the secretary, like, how did they treat you? Because that's mm-hmm. important. Like if you if you walk into an interview and you treated the, tr- the secretary like they were nothing. But like sometimes the secretary is the most powerful, like the second most powerful person in the office. Real talk, real talk. So so it's like treat everybody with respect. So then if you take that to networking, um, network a lot with your peers and the people below you because you never know what people be in five years nice. and they'll remember how you treated them. Nice. And so if you're trying to get to Easter Ray, respect her assistant or respect mm-hmm. the person who works for her and then they might connect you with her. Mm-hmm. And so. It's very important to like the people who are connected to these famous people or even whether they're connected to famous people or not, like treat them with the utmost respect. Try to get to know them because they'll remember that. And when mm-hmm. when they, when they think of somebody like, oh, uh, Easter Ray needs a writer for this, they'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. I know the person who treated me with respect and then mm-hmm. treat me like trash trying to get the Easter Ray. So mm-hmm. I'll connect them or when they become somebody, they'll remember you. Facts. Oh yeah, I'm. T- I totally. I totally with that. Like you got to You never know. You never know where people are gonna go. Like I said earlier, I never knew I would have a student who like goes to the Grammys, or, you know, and he like knows my favorite rappers. You know, like you. You just. You never know what journey people are gonna go on, and mm-hmm. and you just treat everybody with with respect for real. Like totally feel that. Um, last question. Well, two part question. Mm-hmm. Um, you already kind of touched on how your work impacts the Black community, so mm-hmm. I'll definitely leave the floor open for you to um, comment on that if you have anything else you want to wrap up. But I also wanted to ask if you have any book recommendations. So that two part. So I remember um, you talking about how AJ said that um, you know animators don't usually get the shine, and I did want to mention that that's what the purpose of my platform, like my YouTube channel, is. Is that mm-hmm. um, there are few black people in the animation industry but there are more than we realize and mm-hmm. so i interview black animation professionals on my youtube channel it's not always the people who work for disney or pixar i remember i interviewed uh Ibonics. uh she does like black hair for the sims uh game and oh. so it's, it's like all different type of people but i i got to interview ron husband who was the first black animator to work for disney and the big thing that I'm trying to do is not only like introduce you to um, these people, but like highlight their humanity. And mm-hmm. like for them, I want to like show that I'm actually interested in them as a person, not just like gleaning information for personal gain, yeah. for, like, whether it's for me or for other people. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's like a huge thing. Cause I remember I hit up one person and they were like, you know, I'm not in the animation industry anymore. I was like, yep. They're like, you know, I'm not an animator. I'm like, yep, but you're black and you were in the animation industry and you work for Disney. Like, mm-hmm. and so the, even, even like the people outside of animators are not used to getting like recognition. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Like if you are this obscure person who is not an animator and, you know, cause people concentrate on animators, I want to highlight you mm-hmm. too. So, mm-hmm. and then as far as books, uh, a book that I just got is, Ooh anatomy for 3d artists because i'm trying to learn how to digitally sculpt so uh, an important thing is form and like the foundational pieces um so that's that goes into you know like when you talk about using reference or getting stuff out of your head i've never been like what even when i drew a lot i'm always a person to like copy what i see whether it was like copying from my disney books or or my vhs tapes or like doing like a real life drawing but I never was able to get it out of my head. But I realized on like 20 years later that, that that's why they tell you the foundation of like learning form and 
Mm. And the introductory drawing or whatever stuff is important because if you're constantly drawing and practicing those things, then you can put the stuff in your head onto the page e- more easily. So, mm-hmm. so they tell you that they don't be giving you the context context when they tell you to learn foundations, but that's why it's important because I still mm-hmm. draw from my head, but I'm going to start learning the more foundational parts. And then like for the sculpting, it's going to be important for, for me to learn like the muscle structure and stuff like that. So I can mm-hmm. do the characters because, you know, our eye, even the regular person, if you look at something, you can tell it's off even if you can't, because we look at humans all day. Yeah. Why it's important for like 3d artists to know like anatomy or if you don't, even if you don't know the names of the things, you know how they look so that you can create it more realistic. And even for like more stylized car- cartoony uh, characters, you still need to know some type of anatomy because you it's still important under the structure of the like stylized or cartoony character. Wow, that's so interesting. Like I did, that makes perfect, it makes perfect sense that you're saying that, but <laughs> I just didn't think about it. Like, of course you would need to study anatomy. You're drawing Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> yeah. that's really cool that's really cool yeah i hope somebody if you're looking into like 3d modeling and animation hope you got that tip because that is super valuable yeah awesome and where can people find you if they want to keep up with your creative journey so uh for my black woman animator pop platform i'm black woman animator everywhere blk wmn animator all one word stop splitting it up please don't put no tears no hyphens like it's all one word and it's trademarked like (laughs) so as a black woman animator if you don't if you don't capitalize the b w or a that's fine but it's still all one word and stop putting like black the word black word woman word like no i have this everywhere it's black woman animator one word and Mm -hmm. then a couple of and then if you want to see my personal work i'm rebranding that as depth of 3d modeler so i'm on instagram right now i immediately i may i immediately got suspended from twitter don't know what that was about like i was hmm. like let's create this account and i do not yet why y'all suspend me so i'm trying to figure that out but um uh yeah depth 3d modeler for my personal work and i'm working on a website for that so that's where you can find me and subscribe to my youtube and share it with people yes subscribe subscribe if you made it through this whole interview then you definitely want more depth so go over <laughs> to black woman animator right now and start streaming some of her content thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me like i know we we like talked on so many things because you're doing so many things and it's like uh, i just want to capture all of this because it's so interesting yeah i'm multifaceted it's <laughs> awesome thanks for watching black executive join the conversation in the comments below and be sure to like and subscribe You can find a full list of all available podcast episodes on blackexecutive.com or wherever you stream. Until next time, keep aspiring to inspire.